0: Today my brothers and sisters we celebrate the feast of Corpus Christi and it's a feast in which we reaffirm and commemorate and celebrate our specifically catholic faith that in the Eucharist is Christ's humanity as well as his divinity presence so his body his blood his human soul as well as his divinity really present in the Eucharist this is what we celebrate So in our Gospel text today, we have the simplest of the four Gospels, Mark, who gives us the simplest account of the Last Supper. And Jesus says simply, and we interpret it in a very straightforward manner, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. Now probably most of us uh, are not aware of the fact that this feast of Corpus Christi was instituted as a result of a Eucharistic miracle. That took place around 700 years ago in the 13th century. And uh, the story goes like this. There was a a priest from Germany who was passing through Italy and he was saying Mass at various churches that he passed by. He went uh, into the town of Bolsena and uh, there was a church there. I believe it was St. Catherine's and he was offering Mass. And uh, as he said the words of consecration and consecrated the, the sacred host and elevated it, a doubt went through his mind and he said to himself hmm i wonder if this is really the body of christ and lo and behold as soon as that doubt went through his mind the host started to bleed all over his forearms and his chasuble and on the corporal that was on the altar and he was, of course, very, very startled and he stepped back and the blood continued to pour forth out of the host onto the steps of the altar where he was offering Mass. He was shooken up pretty bad and he what he did is he kind of gathered the implements together that, that had the blood on them. And uh, at this time, the Pope was not residing in Rome. He was residing in Orvieto, which was a town right next to Bolsena. And so it was very convenient. So he actually went directly to Orvieto and he got an audience with the Pope. And the Pope listened to what he, you know, what his testimony. And then they gathered some some uh, theologians and clergy and, and various individuals. And they went and they kind of investigated it and uh, authenticated it to the, to the Holy Father's satisfaction, to the satisfaction of those who were responsible to inve- investigating this uh, purported miracle. And, uh, what the Pope did in response, actually, in Orvieto, is he built a humongous basilica that's there to this day, and it's got on the front of it one of the most, some of the most famous, uh, carvings, uh, that are, that exist, basically, in Western, uh, Christian art. And it's an, it's a magnificent, uh, basilica. And in the basilica is enshrined the same corporal to this day that has the blood on it. Of course, the blood is very faint right now. Um, and I, I spent some, some years in Italy myself, and I actually I went to Bolsena and that to the little church where the miracle took place, and the stones that the altar was built out of, on which the blood dripped, are still there with the actual kind of stains of the blood. You can see them. Um, and uh, so the Pope then, what he did is he authorized St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, who's one of the greatest theologians uh, who's ever lived, to write up a, a number of uh, musical um, chants and scores and whatnot uh, for this feast that was instituted as a result of this miracle. Now, St. Thomas, he wrote these beautiful hymns, and they're still with us to this day. We sing them uh, on Holy Thursday. Uh, we sing them at benediction. If you join us uh, after uh, the 1030 Mass in Clyde, we'll have a Eucharistic procession, and we'll sing uh, what's called the... Um, Corpus Christi sequence, and that also was written by St. Thomas, uh, as a, again, in connection with this particular feast. So it's a beautiful thing, We're celebrating 700-year-old uh, feasts with 700-year-old um, uh, hymns and songs. Now, this Eucharistic miracle that took place that lays at the foundation of the Feast of Corpus Christi was not the first Eucharistic miracle that ever took place. Okay. In fact, by the time of the 13th century, there had been so many Eucharistic miracles in the history of the Church that St. Thomas, the same guy who wrote up all this music for the feast, uh, decided to dedicate a whole portion of his theological uh, masterpiece, the Summa Theologica, ad- ad- quite, um, specifically addressing this issue of Eucharistic miracles, what's their implications theologically, philosophically, so forth and so on. And uh, these Eucharistic miracles that have been taking place well before the 13th century have not ceased to take place until this very day. And I'm going to relate to you what, in my to my knowledge, is the most recent and I think the most well substantiated and documented Eucharistic miracle. And so we have to go to um, <clears throat> Buenos Aires in the uh, country of. Uh, Argentina, Argentina. Thank you. Had a mental block there. So down in South America, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, there's a small church there called Saint Mary's. Uh, the pastor was Father Alejandro Pazet. and this was back in 1996. Okay, not long ago. This is the first year of my college years, and uh, <clears throat> a host had been found in the back of the church, and the person who found it brought it up to Father Alejandro. And uh, what's done at that time, sometimes the priest will consume the host. Other times the, the priest will place the host in a, a bowl of water and let it dissolve over the course of maybe 12 to 14 days is usually sufficient for it to completely dissolve and, and there, thereby cease to be the Eucharist. And then the the water is disposed of in a, in a reverent manner down the sacrarium. Well, in any event, he, he, the Father Alejandro uh, decided to choose that latter course of uh, protocol. So he placed the host in a bowl of water and placed it in the tabernacle. Okay, how did the host get back there? We don't know. You know, maybe it was a little kid sometimes that happens. The kids don't know sometimes what they're doing and they, you know, they set the host in, in a book or something like that. But in any event, he placed it in the bowl of water and he placed it in the, uh, tabernacle. He checked it about a week later. And, uh, What was in the bowl of water was no longer a host, although you can kind of see the outline of the host, actually. But most evidently what was there present was a bloody club clump of flesh floating in this bowl of water. Of course, he's very startled. He didn't know what to do. So he went to his bishop. Now, the bishop at that time was actually Jorge Bergoglio, who is our current Holy Father, Pope Francis. Okay, so this is when Francis was Bishop of Buenos Aires. And, uh, Bergoglio said, well, let's, uh, let's get a photographer in there and take a lot of pictures, take good pictures. So there's very excellent pictures were taken right at the very time this bloody clump of flesh was seen. And they're on the internet, you can find them, very good, very good photographs. And, uh, I'm not exactly sure what what happened after that, basically, you know, they just kind of kept it there and they basically replaced the water with sort of distilled water and it was there actually for years and it it never decayed, okay, I don't know exactly what it looks like right now or what the condition of it is right now, but for at least three years it just kind of sat there. And uh, after a while Bishop Bergoglio said, well, we should really try to investigate this more thoroughly." And so they got a hold of a guy who was going to work for free, <laughs> um, probably because otherwise if he was paid, there might be a you know conflict of interest or whatever, so they, they could find a guy who's going to work for free, a Dr. Ricardo Castagnon, who actually a psychologist, but he had a medical background, very smart guy, competent. And so Castagnon takes a sample uh, from this bloody clump of flesh. Now this is three years later in 1999. 1999, he takes the sample, and he brings it up to the the United States. He brings it to San Francisco to a a forensics lab. And uh, as it is the normal protocol for all labs, you don't ask where this is from. They want to do a blind test. So the scientists who are doing the test on this sample don't know what its origin is. They know nothing about it. And the results come back, and they tell um, Dr. Keston that the blood contains human DNA, so it's probably human blood. Okay, so now a few years more passed by, actually three more years into 2002 and uh, Dr. Castagnone, he must be a busy guy. He, he wasn't able to dedicate as much time as he wanted to, I'm sure, to this. So, but anyways, three years goes by and he brings it to another lab, in, this time in Australia. And uh, there's a professor by the name of John Walker who, who run, ran the tests on it, again, blind tests. And the results come back. He says this sample uh, consists of muscle cells uh, and in human muscle cells and intact white blood cells. Okay, Now, if anybody has a medical background, you know that white blood cells can live outside the human body for maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Okay, And this sample was uh, three, th- three years old from the time it had been taken, and then from the original um, source, it was uh, six years old. Okay, And there's living intact white blood cells in this. Okay so now the, this kind of gets heated up here so Dr. Castignon takes it again to another uh expert a Dr. Robert Lawrence who's a, the top a top expert in tissue pathology and the results come back again another blind test and he says this is the tissue of an inflamed human heart and the person uh whose whose heart this is uh, suffered very very greatly and, the, and the, of course the professor was thinking this was a sample that was taken like a few moments ago from a scene of an accident or something that was his impression. Okay, so another year goes by and so now that Dr. Castagnon knows that this is actually a heart, muscle from a heart, he brings the sample to the top expert in cardiac uh, pathologies to a guy by the name of Professor Frederick Zugeby, who's a professor at New York uh, Columbia University. Again, blind tests. Results come back, he says, the sample which you brought me is the muscle of the heart, the myocardium muscle. It's precisely of the left ventricle. And the person to whom this belongs uh, suffered very, very severely and very recently, and he could not breathe at certain moments, And every breath that he took would have been very labored and painful, and it was probably the result of a very (laughs) severe blow to the chest. And so he says, so you know, where'd you get this from? And again, he's thinking it's a very recent sample taken from someone who's in an accident, who got in an accident. But this time, Dr. Casagnon had assembled to himself lawyers, notaries, journalists, who knew the origin of this sample, and they said to him, uh, actually, it's a sample that is, uh, eight years old. And, uh, Professor Zugabe says, well, what are you talking about? And then they explained to him that it was actually taken from a host, an Eucharistic host. And he says, well, you gotta be kidding me, I don't, I don't believe it. And so, after all the facts were laid out on the table and, and it was proved that this really was from the host, he says, I've got no way to explain this. So my brothers and sisters there's a, there's a kind of a difference between being careful about your facts and being irrationally skeptical okay these Eucharistic miracles many of them are very well documented and uh, I'm going to give you the Dr Custodio gives gives one more step okay this is even more amazing he takes a sample and he says okay so I'm going to do takes another sample from a Eucharistic another Eucharistic miracle. This time the Eucharistic miracle is 1200 years old. It's a, it's a miracle that took place in Lanciano in Italy. And there was a monstrance with the sacred host in it and it turned into a big piece of clump bloody flesh, okay? And it still exists to this day in Lanciano, in Italy. And so uh Dr. Castagnone actually was able to get a sample from that. And so he took that sample, he took the sample from the recent Eucharistic miracle, and he brought him to another lab, again, blind tests. The results were that uh, both samples originate from the same person. And the man from whom the sample was taken has AB positive blood. And he's, from other characteristics from the samples, uh, it's clear that he was born and lived in the Middle East.
1: So, my brothers and
0: sisters, this is this is a remarkable thing. Of course, now, our faith in the real presence of Christ's humanity in the Eucharist is based not on these miracles, but upon his words, because he taught us this. And we believe by his divine authority that what he says is true, even though our senses can't perceive it. But in our weakness, and sometimes our faith gets a little rusty, To help us out, he throws in some of these miracles just to help us polish off our faith kind of bring it back to the way it should be. It's a great mercy of his that he does these miracles. Now, in the upcoming year... In connection with the Religious Ed program, we're going to be having speakers come in for the adults. And one speaker is going to come in. It's a friend of mine from Auburn. And he's got a whole PowerPoint presentation on Eucharistic miracles. And these presentations are open not just to the adults in the Religious Ed program, but but for everybody. So I invite you to come and to learn more about these Eucharistic miracles, which are uh, very, very amazing. And please, my brothers and sisters, we're going to celebrate and glorify Christ in the Eucharist today at Holy Mass right now. But come to the Eucharistic procession after the 10.30 Mass in Clive, It's going to be a very beautiful celebration. And Lord willing, it doesn't rain. Uh, we're going to be able to process through the streets and to demonstrate in a public fashion our Catholic faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist.